Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Glory to God. Amen. So glad that you guys are here today as we're finishing up our series called Moving Mountains. Before I get into preaching and before we unpack the, uh, the last installment of this collection of talks, I would just like to honor a spiritual step of Miss Sharon. Where is Sharon Turner? There you are. Could you stand, Miss Sharon? Miss Sharon is the most recent member of Calvary Baptist Church. Give her a round of applause if you would. We love you. Thank you for the bread, by the way. And she served at the parade, so you may have not have noticed because she was a little incognito when she was serving at the parade with us. She was the one on a scooter with the gigantic hat that you couldn't see her face. That was her. And what I love, thank you, Miss Sharon. What I love about, about her, too, just her sweet spirit, she's so encouraging. But, but also, the day of the parade, she had made her own shirt with the Moving Mountains from a series. She had made her own shirt, so you, you rode in your scooter on that day. So great to have you as the newest member of the church, at the close of the service, amen? At the close of the service, I I would just really love for you to get to know some folks. So whenever I'm through, if you could just walk through those doors and let people hug your neck and and shake your hand, get to know you, okay? Great, just celebrate those steps. I wanna begin today in a little different way than I do typically, but I think it sets a stage for where we are in the world today and really where we are as people a lot of people anyway, not all people, but a lot of people I believe are in this place. And I'll begin here. Antalya Flight 404 was an international passenger flight scheduled to fly from Milan, Italy into Zurich, Switzerland. This is in November 14, 1990. As they're approaching the Zurich airport, the pilot's ILS system, the instrument landing system showed that the plane was actually a thousand feet higher than what they actually were. The pilot just simply going off of the gauges in front of him looked at the gauges and started to respond as if they were approaching landing, but he thought that they were a thousand feet higher than what they were. At the same time, the co-pilot is looking at his gauges and his gauges are actually working correctly. And because there's redundancy on every aircraft, the redundancy showed from the co-pilot's perspective that they were actually a thousand, or that their, that their elevation was too low to land. The co-pilot goes and he tries to make a throttle adjustment to, to basically fly around to try another pass because what he saw was wrong. The pilot looked at the co-pilot. He shown the co-pilot's response to the throttle and he said, in essence, I've got this. So he, he, he made the co-pilots, basically, he silenced the co-pilot, although the co-pilot was given good advice. It was just a short time after that that the truth would be revealed, and that plane didn't actually make its true descent into the airport. Instead, it made a descent into a mountain, and everyone on board died. It's such a clear picture to me of what goes on in many of our minds, in many of our lives, in many of our hearts. At the same time, we may be on a course of destruction, but yet 
we, God gives us a warning or gives us a person of a warning or gives us a word from Him directly. And yet so many times what we do is though we have that word, we're so bent on doing what it is that we want to do that we shun God's word, we shun God's purpose, person who God sent in, into our path. And when we shun that, we face the consequences of our actions. I'm not making light of the fact that that 40 some odd people died that day. I'm not just trying to use them as a little token for my sermon to bring about a point. I'm trying to bring about the seriousness of what happens inside of every one of us when God gives us a clear plan and direction of what to do, and yet we don't do it. We're faced with the consequences of that. We're in essence... When we shun God's word and we shun God's people and we shun the truth of God's word, in essence, what we're saying is, God, I'm good all by myself. Thank you very much. And this obviously puts us in a serious situation to where we may, you know, you're listening to me and you're like, well, pastor, I get it. Of course, I never want to have my life into that scenario. But sadly, what what is true about, about not all of us, but many of us, Many of us are so shackled to our own sins that we can be easily enticed by other people. I'll illustrate it in this way. Nate, if you'd stand up, I'm looking for a volunteer. You just got voluntold. Here you go. <laughs> if, we're, if we're shackled to our own sins, it's easily to be enticed by the devil. That's you in this scenario, <laughs> just so you know, Right? So, so take a walk that way, just briefly go slowly, right? So you can go away from me, like, right? It's easy for me to be enticed. He's pulling me away because I'm actually shackled to my own sin. So it's hard for me to resist, but all I have to do is, is to let go of the sin that I'm so entangled with. And when I'm released from that sin, Satan doesn't have the grip on, on me that he once had. Thank you very much. You're a much better worship leader than you are Satan, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) I believe what we're talking about in this passage and where we've been digging in for the last several weeks is Jesus wants us to be the type of people that can possess the power of God that also are not bought into the enticements and the temptations and the sins that could hinder our walk and our obedience to him. Ultimately, I think this is what Jesus wants us to get to, and this is the revelation, this is the epiphany of when we get into the Scripture, and I invite you to go into the Scripture. We're going to read the passage we've been, that I've been preaching from for weeks now. We're going to start in verse 9 of Matthew 6. And we're going to read this slower than what I have in the past. We're going to end this, and we're going to, we're going to read these words, and I want you to read these words as if they are a... They are a manifesto of the kingdom of God because I believe that is the intent of Jesus' model prayer here. It's as a person of God, we pray these prayers in in full or in growing faith to him that we are the type of people who are surrendered to his will. We're not bought into the devil's enticements. We're no longer trapped and enslaved to our own sin. Instead, we are slaves of righteousness. We're servants of righteousness like Ryan talked about during the rally just a little while ago. So let's read this with... I believe the intentionality of what Jesus entailed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today. Today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a powerful prayer for the people of God. It is a manifesto of the kingdom of God that those of us who are in Christ would be the type of people who would pray this prayer and who would submit their will to to the will of God, that we would be people who could be trusted with the power of heaven. Because if we're so easily enticed or tempted to to go off path and to follow the way of the world or to follow into, just to fall into a deep, pent of sin, or also follow our fleshly desires, we're we're not the people who are capable of possessing the power that is available to Christians today. To illustrate it, I'll tell a story about something that happened yesterday, not even connected with this sermon. It didn't dawn on me until this morning. Yesterday, I was doing some work um, in, in the garage and trying to fix my garage door opener, of which it was up whenever I left, so I don't know if it's still there, but it was, it was up. So I, I had to take a drill to, to drill out some metal to hold the, the garage door opener up. And in the process of that, it didn't dawn on me until this morning, I was actually using the very first tool that I ever got. I bought it myself, but it was the first power tool, excuse me, not just the first tool, first power tool that I ever got. And I was probably 20 and it's a drill. It's before cordless drills. It was not a variable drill. It's an all-or-nothing drill. And it about all-or-nothing to my finger with the thing that I was drilling into. It's from a long time ago. But why is it that we don't, you know, at, at a child's second birthday, it'd be like, here's a circular saw. Enjoy it, Billy. Why don't we not do that? Right? Why, why do we not go through and be like, Oh, congratulations, Mary. You've been just gifted an 18-volt drill. Why, why is it that we don't do that? Right? They're not ready for it. They're not mature enough for it. We know that. They, they may get a little toy screwdriver or we may, they may get a little toy drill, but it, it doesn't go vroom, vroom, right? It doesn't do that. And it doesn't go really fast. It's made of plastic. It's not made of metal. It's not connected to electricity because they're not able to control that power, or even able to, to be mature enough to understand that power, not that you can control that power, but to old enough to, to even possess that power. What Jesus is wanting all of us to do is to be the type of people who can possess the power of heaven on earth maturely. Into this passage, we go. Matthew 6, verse 13 is what we're going to sit in today. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of your translations just say from evil. Evil one, actually, that, that little addition actually came from later manuscripts. 
NIV, I think, says evil one. Some of yours just says evil. It came from later manuscripts. Some translations of the Bible don't, they don't honor the later manuscripts that were found. Some just choose the ones that are older. That's fine. Whatever translation you have is, is, is going to be fine. Those are scholars debating those things, not Jesus. So let me give you another illustration I think that help us, helps us to, to maybe understand what Jesus intends for us to, to get when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What is Jesus really getting at? Before we get too deep in the weeds theologically, I'll give you an example I think all of us can follow. I'll say it in this way. There's imagine, just imagine if you would, there's a mom who takes her two kids into the grocery store. You have this so far. Mom takes her kids into the grocery store, and, and she's in there with a certain list of things, and it's one of those times that the, at, you're going to the grocery store, you need 10 things, but you have to span the store to get all those 10 things, right? Always fun. So she starts on the right-hand side because that's where you start, and then you end up on the freezer section because you don't want the, the frozen stuff to be raw stuff or unthought stuff before you leave, Right? course she's playing the game but what would this mom of two kids do she's making her way through the store if she looks up and she sees the candy store there she knows that if she walks down the candy aisle with those two kids her two kids are going to lose their mind aren't they and not only are they going to lose their mind, they're, they're going to ask for every little bit of candy, and she's going to say no, she's going to say no, she's going to say no, you don't need any candy, but then she's going to go another five feet, and there's going to be another piece of candy that, that, that those two kids want, right? So she's going to go all the way down, and then as she leaves that aisle, she goes to the, the, to the green beans, wherever she is, she's getting a can of green beans, all the kids are going to talk about is, why can't we have candy? I want some candy, because the kids, they're enticed by that candy, are they not? But the mom is wise and says, uh-uh, Satan, you ain't taking my day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get these 10 things off my list, and I'm not going to lose my mind, even if they lose their mind. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bypass the candy aisle. In a spiritual sense, what Jesus is saying here is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's saying, God, please don't lead me down the, don't lead me down the candy aisle. Because I know there's things in the candy aisle that are not good for me. Don't lead me into things that I know that are not good for me. And with it comes this, and I think maybe this is the most important thing that I could say all day. With it is a belief that we do not have the power ourselves to thwart the enemy's attack against us. That we don't have the power within ourselves when we go to Jesus in the model prayer, of course, we're going to God. We're praying our Father in heaven. We're praying all these things. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. We're doing all these things. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When we're praying all of these prayers, it's with the acknowledgement of the depths of our heart and the much of our ability to say, God, I can't handle my life alone. I am desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. God, please keep me from the candy aisle because I know that I would be tempted. You see, in the spiritual life, there's a battle on two fronts, the temptations that lurk within us and also the evil that's all around us. 
Satan, flesh, and the world is what 1 John would say. And yet, like a commanding officer, one commentarian said, like a commanding officer, Jesus is telling us to fight against evil that never backs down or never gives up. But once we seek God's protection against this evil, have obtaining it, we can stand secure and safe in the midst of the spiritual war with the power that is of heaven. So there's two petitions in this one verse. It's for God to bring a person into a situation and for God to bring a person out of a situation. Who am I talking to this morning? So let's break it down in this way. Lead us not into a situation that contains evil. With it is a recognition that evil exists and that that we in and of ourselves, if we're not submitted to God, if we're not submitted to the Spirit of God, that we in and of ourselves could fall right into the enticement of that evil, that we could be bound to our sin, we can be enticed more easily by Satan if we don't pray prayers like this, God lead us not into a temptation that contains evil. God least. Don't lead us into a situation that contains evil. Instead, lead us away from it. We recognize our weakness, our vulnerability to God. We acknowledge our frailty to God. We put aside our pride. We put aside our hubris. We put aside how connected we think we are socially. We put aside how much, how, what it is that we've kind of built our life upon. We put that away and we turn from that and say, God, that's sinful. That is not enough for me to basically put my life upon. It's with the acknowledgement that Jesus is the cornerstone. He alone is the one strong enough to uphold us. This word temptation is also translated into the word trial. This can be confusing. Because Satan tempts, but God allows trials. Satan tempts. God never tempts you to sin. But he does, because we live in a fallen world, he does put us in situations where those trials that are in our path could either lead us to sin or they could lead us to to eternal life. They could lead to abundant life in Christ. Some examples. The same word that's used there for temptation is used in a couple different ways. So uh, I'll read this, Galatians 4, 11 through 14. The context of this is to the church in South Galatia. Galatians, Paul wrote this letter to to the Galatians they struggled in a bunch of different ways, and they struggled to accept the gospel. They, they, wanted more of, they wanted more legalism. They wanted more laws, so they're struggling with the Jewish laws, and they're trying to bring some of these Jewish laws into the gospel, and the gospel loses its purity if anything else is interwoven with it. So this is what the Apostle Paul said to them in verse 11. He says, I fear for you, perhaps of all my hard work with you, was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, that I've become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. In other words, the, the, the laws that were, that were in the Old Testament, that were the laws that were, to, that were to die away because of the gospel message. He says, you mistreat me, you mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely, 
You remember that I was sick when I, was, when I brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, that's the word, same word for temptation, for Matthew 6, even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn from me. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from heaven, even as Christ, Jesus himself. In other words, there was a temptation because of, of a physical ailment for them to look down on him. And so now he's using this as a condition to bring about the gospel message. And he says, although I was sick and you were tempted because of my physical ailment to not take me seriously, you, he's saying you did take me seriously. And not only that, you welcomed me as if I were an angel or as if I was even Jesus. It's a powerful thing. Another passage of scripture Acts 20, 7 through 19. You'll get the context within the reading. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Verse 18 says this. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, Paul says, although I was severely tested by the plots of of the Jews. The people that were plotting against him, the, the Jewish people who then viewed Paul, although he was Jewish, but he, he converted and he was no longer living the Jewish lifestyle. Instead, he was a follower of Jesus. He was the person who, who at one point was the persecutor, the chief persecutor of Christians in the early church. And he had this an amazing encounter. You can read for yourself at the beginning of Acts, in Acts 9, I believe, he has this amazing encounter with Jesus to where he's blind. He has scales in his eyes and he can't see and the scales come off and he realizes that when he sees Jesus, he realizes that he's been the persecutor of, of God's true people. And he repents and he turns his whole life around. And it's him, he says, that he even realizes, he says in verse 19, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. It's the same word as the word temptation for Matthew 6. He says, I stay the course and I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. He was moved emotionally by the work that he was in the midst of. And he says, although I was severely tested because of the plotting of other people. Did you know there's some people who don't want to celebrate the work that God's doing in you? Did you know that? You need to wisely know that some people don't, that they don't want to celebrate your success. Instead, they want your success to turn into failure. You need to know the difference between the person who God has put in your path to help you grow and the person that Satan has put in your path to hinder your growth. It's important that you know the difference. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus also prays using that same prayer. This is what it says in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine through 42. Jesus went out as usual into the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Verse 40 says this, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Same word. He, Jesus, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours be done. And, and, and this continues in verse 46, Luke 22. Jesus said, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. 
in the midst of this, there's a pain associated with what Jesus is about to endure. And he's praying, he says, he prays that, that they will not fall into temptation, but also, notice what he says right after this in verse 42. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours be done. And then lastly, there's, this is the same word, trial, temptation, this in a positive sense, that when God allows trials to bring about a power and perseverance. 2 Peter 2, 5 through 9. This of God, he says, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood into its ungodly people, but protected Noah, the preacher of righteousness, and seven others, Noah's family, by the way, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless people, for that, that righteous man living amongst them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, if this is so, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from trials. What Peter is saying is, if God was faithful in delivering Lot, if God was faithful in bringing about condemnation of Sodom and Gomorrah, if God was faithful to rescue Noah and the seven people that were also rescued with Noah and Noah's family, it says if God was faithful in that, then God is also going to be faithful. Again, verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from trials. And to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment with, while continuing their punishment. So did you notice the interplay here? There's, there's something very positive for the people of God who, per, who are persevering through trials. They will experience the power of God in the midst of that. But on the other side is, is this that also this, the, the same power of God that may be rendered for the good of those who are called according to His purpose and who love Jesus, there's also a power associated with those who are fallen and wicked and those who are not pursuing Jesus. And that power is going to be a, bring about condemnation and eternal torment for their souls. So not only... Is it leading us not into, into a situation that contains evil? It's also delivering us out of a situation that contains evil. And some of us are still, we're still shackled. And I want to spend the next couple moments as to maybe explain how, where, and why you are. But I'll begin here. God doesn't tempt people to do evil. He, however, does allow his children to pass through times of testing. He does. Because when God allows that testing, the testing of our faith, it builds character and it builds perseverance. And then over time, what this does, it shows a work that God is doing in your life. Not does that in a, it doesn't do that in a superficial way. It does it in a very substantial way because it proves to yourself and others that you are someone that can possess the power of God faithfully. So the attack of temptation comes from 
Next, outside us. The attack of temptation comes from outside us. It comes from people in our midst. It can come from bad influences around us. It can come from toxic work environments. It can come from forms of government. It can also come from decisions of government that we have to live under the, under the banner of. So the attack of temptation comes from outside of us. To dig deeper into this, I'll, I'll give you a story based upon a true story about something that happened in a city called Constantinople. Constantinople was a city housed within a great castle, a very strong and fortified castle. But at the same time, there was an opposing empire that was seeking to destroy Constantinople and take down the Byzantine Empire, and this was the Ottoman Empire. All this happened in about 1453, and, and I'll give you some application that corresponds with the history. The Ottoman forces surrounded Constantinople, cutting off the city from external assistance and supply routes. They prevented the defenders from receiving reinforcements and provisions. Application. Satan wants to cut you off from other people in the kingdom of God. The next thing they tried was cannon bombardment. Just bombarding the walls, the fortified walls with cannons. So it began with the massive seas trying to cut them off from supply routes or assistance. The next, it was cannon bombardment. The cannons inflicted significant damage to the fortifications, created breaches in the walls. Application. Satan lobs lies and deception into your life to attempt you to bring doubt. The Ottomans also dug tunnels beneath the walls. So there was... The cutting off of supplies, there was the, the cannon bombardment against the, the fortified walls trying to take down and cause breaches in the walls, but also they tried to mine under the walls to try and soften the ground underneath the walls because if they could soften the ground under the walls, then the walls would basically fall under their own weight. So they use these mining techniques to weaken specific points and cause the walls to collapse. Application. Satan is also crafty in his approach. Some of what he does is beneath the surface, not obvious until it's too late. Look for vulnerable places in your life. Invite other people into your life who will tell you the truth about you. The final assault that the Ottomans used was this. They breached the walls at various points, just overwhelming the defenders, getting through the walls and breaking through the, into the city's interior. Application. When a person is weary and disconnected from God, Satan tries to finish them off by, by causing them to walk away from God and God's people all together. There is a constant barrage against not only the people of God, but also those who are not in Christ. And the difference between the two is if a person is in Christ, they actually have the power available to them to avoid that evil, to not be restrained by that evil, 
and to live free of that evil. The person who is bound, who, who does not know Jesus Christ, has no power available to thwart the enemy. I say this not as a shock factor to you, but I say this as, as a way to get your attention or maybe to, to draw your attention to what is maybe going on in your life. The attack of temptation also comes from those who love us. It can come from those who love us. These are some of the times we're the most vulnerable. It's really cliche. It's true, but it's cliche. Hurt people hurt people. But what I wish would replace that all the more is loved people love people. And I wish it was loved people love people all the time, but yet all of us are still in a struggle with sin. All of us are are dealing with, with what Satan is doing in the world. All of us have the flesh inside of us. But some of us have the Spirit of God that allows us to fight that battle. And yet, if I can just say something pastorally to, to you, when people come into this place, we're all in, in different degrees of spiritual health. Some people walk into this place and it's their first time coming to church altogether. And, and they just come in, and they, they, don't know, they don't know the verses, the books of the Bible. They may not know who Jesus is. They don't know what Baptist means. They don't know, any, they don't know anything. All they knew was the address, and they knew that they, they had to have some courage to walk in here because they'd never been in church before. And, and there's, there's all sorts of people in between, and then there's people who, who were born and raised in church, and, and everything about church is second nature. Everything. The verses, the stories, everything. And yet we have people all between. What we have to come to understand is, if you've been here for all of your life and you know all the scriptures and you've sat in that seat for years and years and years, you need to allow grace and space for the person who showed up here for the first time. And if they've got tattoos on their arm, if they smell like smoke, if they smell like dope, or if they don't have clean clothes on, if they've got holes in their jeans, you're not the person who's supposed to tell them what is wrong with them or how they smell or what they look like. Instead, you should just say, praise God, they're here. That's your job. Not to judge them by how they came in, not to judge them what they leave, or not to judge them about where you think they should be in their spiritual walk because they've been here for a certain amount of time. And shame on us as a church when we create a bias, although there are people that we're supposed to love, but we create a bias because we think they should be where we are. Everybody starts somewhere. And by the grace of God, maybe you started in church and you've been in church your whole life, but I want to tell you from somebody who was not raised in church, not everybody's story is like that. So we need to be kind, we need to be respectful, we need to be compassionate, we need to be understanding. We also need to know that, that if we love, love people, we're loved by God, we need to love people for where they are and who Jesus is making them to be. But the attack of temptation even comes from those who love us because even people within the church, so if you're brand new in church and you think, how dare they say something to us, 
you also need to give grace and space for that person who's, who you think has been here forever. Because we're all in a different stage of spiritual mending. The attack of temptation comes especially strong to younger people. I don't have time to unpack these passages, but you as a parent, this would be great for you to take this and maybe to dig into some of these truths with your kids or even your grandkids. A couple of scriptures you could look at is Ecclesiastes 11, 9, and 10 that addresses this. You could also look at Proverbs 4, all of Proverbs 4. It talks about wisdom for younger people. That younger people need wisdom. And also Proverbs 22, 15. That's probably not going to be like the most cheery of verses when you start talking to your kids, but it's necessary. They're going to they're gonna stick their nose up when you get to that one, but the rest of them will make more sense to them. Maybe start with the others and then work your way in. But the attack of temptation it comes especially to those who are younger because younger people generally, this is not an absolute, but generally younger people are still governed more by their passions than wisdom. They're led more by their hormones and passions than wisdom. So the attack of temptation comes especially strong to younger people, which is why younger people need their moms and dads and their grandmas and grandpas and the rest of the, of the church mothers and fathers and pastors and youth pastors and everybody in between, the Sunday school, everybody, all small group leaders, they need all these people helping these younger generations to know who Jesus is, to fall in love with Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit of God, to fight all of those urges, temptations, and impulses that seek to control younger people. The attack of temptation also comes from inside us. From inside us. These vulnerabilities, those weak points that we have. Temptings of the flesh. Speaking of temptings, James 1, 13 and 15 says this. When, God, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when... By his own desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, that gives birth to death. Kingdom prayers invite the power of God to defeat, to defeat the power and plans of Satan. Kingdom prayers of what Jesus has been inviting us into in the whole series, all seven weeks, is to be the type of person who can pray kingdom prayers where we're entrusted with the power of God because we're submitted to Jesus Christ. Because kingdom prayers, they invite the power of God to defeat the power and plans of Satan. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know the condition of your heart and soul when you walked into this place? I don't know. God does. And if there's a heaviness on your heart now that you did not have when you came in today, that could be the very presence of God working in your life, trying to draw something out of you or try and lead you into something. 
Maybe it's leading into something, a decision that you have not made, and he's trying to lead you into the best decision, and yet you're dragging your feet, dragging your feet, dragging your feet. Delayed obedience is disobedience, and that's what you've been doing. It could be that. And it could be another situation where you've been dabbling in pornography, you've been dabbling, talking to that person at work, and you're, you're, you don't even realize how close to adultery you really are, but you are a whisper away from adultery, but you think it's, out, you think it's in control right now. You think you can handle it. You think that, that, it's just, that you, you can just do these things and seek this bit of pleasure and have no consequence. You think that you can, you can, you can cheat and you can steal and you can talk about people and you can... Uh, you have malice against people, and you think you can harbor that, that anger in your heart, and you think, well, it's, just, it's just here, it's no big deal, I can just have this, it's not going to come out. It's all going to come out. It's all going to come out, and maybe you've been in a situation, and you just need to say, God, please help me get out. Deliver me from this evil. Lead me into a place that's better than the place that I am. I want to end with this. Would you stand with me while I end? I want to end with all of us just praying a public prayer. And this, the prayer is going to be led by Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Let's make this our prayer this morning. Let's not just be touched emotionally, be touched spiritually at the, at the surface level. Let's pray this prayer with anticipation and expectation that God's going to go deeper into us. And then as we, as after we get done with this prayer, if God so leads you to, to move in the room, maybe to give your life to Jesus for the first time, maybe it's to recommit your life to Jesus, maybe it's just to, to go to the front to say, Jesus, I'm done with that secret sin. Now I finally realize what it's doing to me. Now I finally realize why, why my prayers are not being heard. I finally realize that there's unforgiveness in my heart and that unforgiveness is a lid for your power. Let's pray through this prayer. Let's read it together corporately. We'll go through slowly. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.